Um, yeah, 24-7 prayer, uh, I was involved when it first kicked off in 99. I just happened to be in England when it all kicked off. Um, sort of an accidental prayer meeting that went around the world. I remember when Pete Gregg, who's the, sort of the founder, he got up at a conference we were at and started talking about this exercise they'd been trying in, this, in a room in their church. What if we prayed nonstop for three months? They tried that. And uh, uh, they, they said, if anybody wants to join us, we think that God was in it. God was doing something. People would show up for an hour, middle of the night, and pray. And then the next person would show up, and then they would kind of pass the baton of prayer on and keep it going for three months and leave prayers in the room and stuff. And, and he said, we think it, God's in it, so we're going we're gonna to put together a website and connect uh, churches and groups all around the world who are praying. And at that time in 99, nobody really, I mean, some people knew what a website was, but it wasn't a big thing. And Pete definitely didn't know what a website was. He didn't know how to do that. And uh, so all of his friends were like, oh, Pete, you're making promises that you cannot keep. Um, but then he got down off the stage, and a guy came up and said, hey, I just uh, was furloughed from my job at NASA, and I, my job was creating their website. Would you like me to create your website for you? For free, I'll do it for free. I have a, he's like, okay. So we've just been seeing lots of things. That's one of the smaller little miracles that we've seen um, around the world as we've kept this unbroken chain of prayer going since certainly 99 other groups have been praying in that time too, and long before us. We just certainly didn't invent prayer. Um, in Canada, we have uh, this vision this year we're, we're running at trying to um, resource and honor and inspire 100,000 hours of prayer, which is really not about the hours. We don't care so much about that, but it's about the encounters. We said we want to inspire at least 100,000 encounters uh, with prayer. And so that includes the Lectio 365 app, um, and that includes trying to help churches run prayer rooms. Most of the prayer rooms that we've run, sometimes they happen in churches, but often they happen in other places. They happen in, in jail cells, where there's been a weeks of prayer happening in jail cells, or in parliament buildings, or in parks, uh, we, where I pray in the mornings at Oppenheimer Park. Someone once came and said, could I just set up a tent that's, that's for anybody who wants to come and pray in the park. That's when there was about 100 tents in the park of people who were living there. And I said, yeah, go for it. So he set up a, a prayer tent in the park. And so we have prayer in lots of different places. One of the places that we've been praying uh, was in the downtown east side in the Empress Hotel, which is right at Maine and Hastings. And we prayed there for two and a half years, nonstop. And I remember just being in that room praying and overlooking Maine and Hastings, overlooking the center of the kind of active drug trade, and just going, God, am I wasting my time here? <laughs> you know, I could be going down and doing so many good things. And the, the answer I got back was, yeah, waste your time on me. I am worth wasting your time on. And from that place came so many um, opportunities to do good things. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about now. Um, the, the tagline of 24-7 prayer is prayer, mission, and justice. Um, that we know that prayer done properly is going to lead to mission and justice. Um, and so we have created a number of prayer resources to help churches pray for weeks at a time um, uh, with different monthly themes. So in January, the theme was praying for Christian unity, but those are all on our website and you can use that at any time. Um, this month, the, the theme is praying for leaders, all kinds of leaders. Um, next month, the prayer is going to be uh, joining Jesus in the wilderness around the Lent journey. In April, it'll be death and resurrection. In May, we're going to be talking about um, praying uh, uh, around the week of uh, mental health 
um, praying for people who are really struggling with uh, mental health issues. Um, and then in June, it's going to be with displaced people, praying with displaced people, that is um, certainly people who are in, in refugee situations. And so we, we really, I do encourage you to go there, 247prayercanada.com, and the, all those resources are there. You can download them, you can use them for yourself, you can use them uh, as a church and in community. But uh, that, that experience that we've had really was when we have devoted ourselves to prayer, that's when the, the best mission and justice stuff uh, that we've ever done has come out. Um, I remember a time I was in the prayer room with somebody else once at Maine and Hastings. We were in there for three hours. And for whatever reason, I mean, I would go in and do lots of different prayer things for three hours sometimes in that room. Um, but in that time, it seemed like the only thing we could pray for was the lost. And we just, for three hours, this friend and I, we just prayed for the lost. God, give us the lost. God, the lost, we want them. You know, after, after a little while, you start losing words to pray for the lost. But that just, we didn't feel um, released to pray for anything else. So we were just praying for the lost, praying for the lost, praying for the lost. And I thought, all right, we finished after three hours. And I went down. It was, on, it was in room 504, so I had to walk down five floors. Went onto the street, onto Main and Hastings, started walking down the street. And the guy in front of me just started going, I'm lost. I'm lost. I was like, okay. <laughs> I guess that's what that was about. You know, and, and then could just, you know, meet with him. And, and so we, we find that, you know, sometimes we, we make these compartments of there's the prayer people and then there's the mission people and there's the justice people and everyone looks at each other pretty suspiciously, you know. You know, like, and you hear it, the, the whole the thoughts and prayers thing, right? Like, I actually really don't like that phrase. Oh, I'll send my thoughts and prayers. Really, when are they going to get here? Um, you know, but, I, you know, the, the whole, because I don't like it because it's dismissive because it's actually... I think it's sort of that Christian shorthand of I don't intend to do anything about this, but I'll, I'll think and pray about it. Um, when actually, I think if you're saying, I will think and pray about this, you are indicating that if the Lord says, get up and go and give everything I have to sort it, then you are ready to do that. People should be so excited when you say, I'm, I'm sending my thoughts and prayers. I'm like, oh, fantastic, because the Lord's a coming. Um, but that's not what we tend to mean by it. And, and justice people and active, active people tend to look at that and go, oh, that's just nonsense. You should do something. And prayer people are like, well, actually, you know, we should really be praying. And, and they look at, with some suspicion at just all the busy active people. But, but there should not be that, that separation at all. I remember praying once in the morning at Oppenheimer Park with my friend. I won't say his name, but my friend was there. And we, were, we pray in the morning for about a half hour. We had our Bibles out, and then we were walking back home. And a lady who lives uh, next door to me or stays in the place next door to me, which is essentially a, a functioning brothel, um, and, and filled with people in just the most distressing uh, levels of uh, trauma and, and addiction and survival sex work. And, and she came across um, holding a crack pipe, and she looked at us, and she saw our Bible. She said, what, have you guys been, been praying? And we said, yeah, actually, we, we have been praying. And she said, uh, well, why don't, you just, why don't you try and do some good rather than just praying, which... I understand that, certainly coming from her. That is the thing that gets thrown at a lot of Christians, maybe rightly, in a lot of ways. Why don't you do some good? And my friend said, well, that's what we're about to do. That's the rest of our day. We started at praying, and the rest of our day, we're going to go out and do some good. That's what we're about. And she looked at me, and she said, have you ever used drugs? 
And I know what that question means in my neighborhood. It means if you say no, which I have not used drugs, if you say no, then I'm going to dismiss you because you don't really know. You don't know the life that I'm leaving, uh, that I'm leading. I said no, and she just, she, she had won her point. But then my friend said, oh, but I've been, I was a heroin addict for 20 years. And immediately she turned to him and went, what do I do? How do I, what do I do? I don't want to use anymore. Like it just, everything shifted. And he, he was able to just minister to her in that moment in a really beautiful way, in a way that I wasn't able to, because she wasn't going to hear from me, but she could hear from him because he had been through that. And we had started from that place of prayer and asking, Lord, give us opportunities to do good today. And, and, and from that place of identity as children of the Father, that's the place from which we can do good because justice and prayer are fundamentally interconnected within God's created purpose for humanity. We were made for intimacy with God. We were also made to do good. And that's why there should never be a separation between those two things. Because here and now, we know that in glory there won't be any lament and intercession and all that kind of stuff. But here and now, within this veil of sorrow and trial, our prayerful connection with the Lord is meant to lead us into doing good. We should be doing good. We should be known as people of prayer and people who do good. Um, Genesis 1, going back to Genesis, really supports this. It says in the beginning, this is the very first line in Scripture. And I, I want to give you um, some teaching on this that is a little bit tricky little bit difficult it does involve a little bit of Hebrew and it does involve a little bit of changing probably the way that you saw this passage rolling out okay but I think it's quite important so Genesis 1 says in the beginning the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep now these descriptions without form void darkness these are not good things we tend to just sort of skip those. Well, there was nothing, and then there was things. But actually, those words have meaning. They show up a couple other times in the Old Testament. And whenever they show up, they're not good. It indicates that something not good has happened. Typically, it means uh, in, a, in a battlefield, the end of a battle, what's left, the chaos, the death, the corpses. This is what is described as without form, void, and darkness. And so the phrase that is used typically, and there's a few words that are used here, but the phrase is tohu vabohu. Translates as void, emptiness, darkness, confusion, vanity, waste. If someone described your life as, well, that person's life is uh, void, empty, dark, confused, vain, and wasteful, you wouldn't think, well, that's fine. You'd say, that's not good. That's not a good thing. That's the end of something that's really bad has happened. And they are shown, these words are shown to be destructive, and there's something in need of correction and redemption. And that's the very first line of Scripture. That in the beginning, the earth was these things. So something has happened. Something not good is present. And God's act of creation has the purpose then, in part at least, of shaping the formlessness, filling the void, lighting the darkness. That there is something that's happened that's not good, and God is doing something about this. His act of creation is goodness. 
It is, in fact, a type of cosmological divine war that is happening. That's what's being described in this passage. And humans are key actors within that purpose. So when you start to look at the the movement of creation, you see that God makes this and makes this, he calls it good, he calls it good, he makes it, he calls it good. And then at the very end, he makes humanity. And he actually calls humanity, do you know what, do anybody know what he calls humans? Very good? Yeah, there's not really, that word very doesn't exist so much in Hebrew, it's, it's usually repeated, it's good, good. Whenever something is good, good, it means it's like double good, it's really good, it's excellent good. And, and so right, you know, a lot, a lot of times when we, this is a bit of an aside, but when we present the gospel to people, we like to start by saying, now everything's bad and you're bad, right? Which doesn't sound like great news. Actually, that's not the beginning. When we see humanity, God says you're good, good. So when we scrape down right to the very bottom of who we are, we were made good, good, and made to be good, good, and made to do good, good in this world. We were given a purpose. And like I said earlier, child of God, it's a familial term. It means family, but it's also a vocational term. Children grow up to participate in the work of their parents, particularly within an ancient Middle Eastern worldview. The parents, if your dad was a carpenter, you're a carpenter. If your dad was a baker, you're a baker. That's usually what happens, and you start to apprentice with your parents on this is how I'm going, this is the work that I'm going to do in the world. And so when we're called children of God, scripturally, this is vocational. And so everywhere that we see void, darkness, chaos in our world, whether it's racism, abuse, homelessness, displacement, addiction, trafficking, loneliness, we know that we were actually created as children of the Father to address these things. And think of how the mission of the church is described in the New Testament, bringing the ministry of reconciliation, shining light in the darkness, rescuing people from death, setting the lonely in families, casting out demons, healing sickness, overcoming the devil who is the champion. The devil is the champion of the tohu vabohu, the emptiness, the waste, the void. That's what he's about. And, And humanity, the church, is actually meant to overcome the devil, overcome the tohu vabohu with the blood of the Lamb, and the word of our testimonies. So this integration of prayer and justice is why we were made. And that's why the fall is such a big deal. The fall breaks us relationally, right, from the Father, from creation, from one another. But it also is allegiance with that which we were meant to overcome. We were meant to be the champions of God's order and goodness. And instead, we made allegiance with the chaos, with the brokenness. And it's why it's so important for us to walk back into that place. And uh, we we read earlier from Ephesians 2.10, we did that with our, our Lectio Divina, And I really want to hang out in this. It's one of my favorite passages. I haven't been able to get away from it for the last two years. This one verse in Ephesians 2.10. For we are his, his workmanship. We are God's workmanship. God made us. Created in Christ Jesus. 
for good works. Do you see how different that is than I need to do good works in order to, to get access to God? That, like, my salvation is based on the good that I do? See, that, that's, that's the opposite of what's being said here, is that we were actually made already in Christ. We were God's workmanship already. We were made in Christ. We were made to do good things. We're made to do good works. And then this bit, I love this, which God prepared beforehand. We didn't even come up with the good works. God is all in this and through this and over this. This is not us in our own kind of initiative just trying to figure out what to do. God made us to do this. He made it possible in Christ, and he prepared the things for us to do. That we should walk in them. This should actually be just like fish swimming in water. As we are engaged in this intimate relationship with God, our created purpose, what we were made to be, then we can walk into the things that we were made to do without that level of anxiety and guilt and shame and are we doing enough and all that kind of thing. It should just be sort of a natural fruit. doesn't mean it's not hard work, but it just is natural. Um, have you ever seen, oh, you, you would, I mean, you've, you've all seen fruit trees, like an apple tree. An apple tree, if it's planted in the right soil, and if it's near the right, it gets enough water and it gets enough sunlight, you can't stop it from making apples. You know, there's a, actually, we don't get to see it, but there's a huge amount of energy, like an unbelievable amount of energy that goes into the creation of, of soil and water and, and tree into making apples. We don't see it. It just happens. And you don't, get, you don't see the tree going, boom, apple. It just happens right? And, and, and you don't, the trees don't get together in conferences going, well, what should we be doing this season? They're like, oh, we're supposed to make apples. That's what we do, you know? And, and we, as, as children of the Father, should be doing the work of the Father, that the, work that, that the Father has prepared for us to do. But we need to be rooted in Christ, we need to abide in Christ. I mean, Christ himself uses that analogy. He said, I'm the, I'm the vine, you're the branches. You're not the vine. But if you're grafted in, if you are the branches on the vine, the, the branches just make fruit. That's what you do when you're connected. So it should be coming out. That's why the order matters so much, is that we are deeply embedded in the life of Jesus. You know, Paul, 50 times in his letters, uses the phrase, in Christ. So it's probably pretty important, this phrase, in Christ. It's not on your own. It's in Christ. That's why when we pray, we should be naturally moving into those places of good works. This is why we're made. And there's the greatest danger when prayer and action, prayer and justice are separated. When prayer is separated from justice, it runs the risk of becoming entirely internalized, self-absorbed, individualistic, and concerned solely with our own personal development. I do say to people, this is one of the more controversial things that I say, um, I say, if, if we are praying to the God who hates injustice, to the God who loves justice, 
If we are praying to that God and, and nothing, no justice comes out of us, then it might be that we weren't really praying to God. It might be that we were not really encountering God. Because I defy anybody to encounter God truthfully, genuinely, authentically, and God says, I want you to do this, and go, yeah, no, 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 I got my own stuff going on. If we're really saying, I want to meet with you, and I'm in Christ, and I'm, I'm connected to the source, justice will flow from us. Prayer actually in in that sense becomes an excuse just to not do anything genuine prayer always leads us more deeply into the heart of the father through the son by the spirit which means it's always going to lead us more deeply into the things that god cares about and we don't even have to figure out first the stuff that god cares about we have to says first go i want to meet with you god and he will let us know what he cares about it will become apparent to us if we're really listening to the voice of the Father. But there's another problem, and that is when justice gets separated from prayer. When action gets separated from prayer. And there may be people in the room, I'm sure there are, who are just, you're really action-oriented. You're justice-oriented. And that's, that's great but we mustn't allow it to be separated from that place of prayer, from that place of intimacy, from identity with Jesus. Because we are seeing a lot of the fruit of that in our world today, and always have. That justice separated from prayer tends to lead to unchecked anger, to judgment, to polarizing, to labeling. Has anybody seen any of that? Has anyone ever been on Facebook or any? <laughs> I mean, it's atrocious, isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, it's, I just find it just Christians. I mean, people saying, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. I'm like, well, I don't think we should just be cultivating anger. And, and there's just so much knee-jerk stuff that's not coming from a source of deep wisdom. Again, even saying that, if I try and communicate that to people, they go, oh, you're just all about prayer. You don't care about doing good things in the world. I'm like, I do care about doing good. Look at my life. I am doing that. It's weird how quickly people turn. So, well, you, you only care about prayer. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm doing that stuff too. I know that stuff matters, but it has to be from the place of deep connection, and familiarity, and fellowship with God in Christ by his spirit, or we are just going to be angry. And the result of anger, it says in James 1, it says, talking about meekness, it says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It does not do it. Therefore, meekly receive the implanted word in you, which is good for your salvation. We are not just to be angry all the time and cutting people off. What happens is we create echo chambers where we only talk with the people who already agree with us. You seen any of that? Been part of any of that? We wonder then, because you're only talking with the people who agree with you, you then start to wonder how the other side could be so stupid and ignorant and bigoted and monstrous. How could you believe that? Everyone I know doesn't believe that, right? Because everybody you're talking to only agrees with you. And we're probably not talking with God. And then we start to think, well, that person's my enemy. Well, here's the good news. God tells us how we're supposed to be with our enemy. 
That may be bad news for some, I'm not sure. But tells us how we are supposed to be with our enemy. Again, if you are, me- and this gets really frustrating, honestly, when, you, when you're meeting with God and bringing your enemies before God in prayer, you don't really get to think of them as your enemies so much anymore. I remember praying for somebody who was not being very good to us. And this person owed us a lot of money. And was saying, I'm not going to pay this. And was, was um, slandering us and kind of this whole thing. Just awful. And I was praying for them. And as I'm praying for them, I was praying the Lord's Prayer. And I just remember getting to that part of forgive us our debts as we forgive her. I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no, Jesus. Really? <laughs> I was praying for them, and I'm praying the Lord's Prayer. And he said, yeah, hey, you know that word debts, you know? I said, oh, do we really have to? I didn't want to. I didn't want to. But it was from that place of prayer that, that God reminded me, this is, God said, this is what I'm like. And I don't know if you, but every time I pray that line, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Like, oh, no. In the same way, God, how do I want to be forgiven? It's from this place of prayer that we are actually moved into the Christ-likeness that we are to display in the world. And we did have to forgive that person their debt. And we knew that there was no way of controlling. It wasn't necessarily going to lead to a better situation, but we had to do that. And I, I just want to encourage churches to take seriously their prayer life so they might take seriously the good work that God has for them. And I really don't want people to just use their prayer life as an excuse to not do things. I have a friend who loves to say this. Um, He's a very justice-oriented person, but he also loves prayer. And he says whenever he calls on Christians to get involved in some injustice in the world, he says, the first thing Christians will always say is, well, what do you think they always say? When, they get, when Christians get asked to do some kind of justice work or action in the world, what do we say? I'll, I'll pray about it. Well, maybe I'm busy. Yeah, <laughs> maybe we don't even go to the prayer, but ah, no, I'm too busy. Um, <laughs> but I'll pray about it. And his response, he knows what that means. It means I don't intend to do anything. I'll pray about it. He says, you should have already been praying about this. You should have already been so engaged with who God is that when the moment arrives, you can act. Now, I don't mean that in any kind of shaming or guilt-inducing way. It just, I, I actually think that's what it is. Again, I don't think an apple tree is going, what should I make this year? I think an apple tree knows in the moment I should make apples. I think churches who are connected in prayer to God, who've had an encounter with God, will know, well, in the moment... This is what we do. This is the good that we live out. And we don't actually have to sit around and try and figure it out. Now, sometimes we do. Sometimes life is very complex and we have to try and figure out what is the best thing to do. But we mustn't do that either from a place of non-commitment. We must do that with a complete openness to saying, God, whatever you ask of us, we will do. We will do that thing. No matter how costly. That's, I know that's a scary thing, but, but again, remember what we talked about this morning, that actually God, the first and foremost thing is God says, abide in me. In me, 
you can do all things. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But, but abide in me, and then you will be called to do those good things in me that I've made you to do, that I've prepared beforehand for you to do. He's with us in it all. And that is the connection between justice and prayer that is so life-giving. So what Thomas Merton says, uh, he's talking about the importance of prayer, without contemplation, without the secret, silent pursuit of truth, our action loses itself in the world and becomes dangerous, and it does. But if we are genuinely in that place of prayer, our action will be moved into the world. It might not be known, but it will have effect. It will have impact. Justice is utterly on God's heart. Authentic prayer will never make us less invested in justice. It will always move us more deeply into that. And prayer should reveal our hearts in this. We have a lot of groups who come down to the neighborhood and they want to do things in the downtown east side. We have groups coming in March, in fact. And um, this is how we try and help them understand uh, a good way to act, not just in our neighborhood, but in every neighborhood. Um, because one of the dangers of missionaries going anywhere is they start to assume that they're bringing Jesus and, and they're going to go and hand out Jesus like they're going to hand out sandwiches, you know. And, uh, and what we discovered when we first came to the downtown east side is, frustratingly, Jesus was already there. And when you're a missionary and Jesus is already there and you're intending to bring Jesus to the poor and he's already shown up, now what do you do? You know, that's maddening. Um, but we discovered that instead of it just being a place where we could bring Jesus, and of course we do, we do carry Jesus everywhere we go, this was actually a really good place to meet Jesus. And I love this notion that, that mission and justice is, becomes far more about going out and finding Jesus. So we tell all these groups Instead of thinking you've got some Jesus and nobody else does, and you're going to go out and give Jesus, instead spend your time in our neighborhood going out and finding Jesus. And when you find Jesus, what should you do? What do we do with Jesus? We love him. So go out into the neighborhood, find Jesus, and love, what Jesus, love who Jesus is, love what Jesus is doing, and that will be far better. And so we, send, we, we <laughs> would send these groups out with a, a sign saying, Free Prayer. And uh, send them to the corner of Maine and Hastings. It's a very busy corner. <laughs> and we've, we're adapting it now. We're having a sign that says, uh, take a prayer, leave a prayer. Um, but uh, we, they go out with signs, and they were scared. They were terrified, standing on the corner of Maine and Hastings, praying. Like, they're like, what if nobody comes and asks us for prayer? Or what if somebody comes and asks us for prayer? <laughs> they were really quite scared. And so they were just kind of standing there quivering and, you know, all of you walking around. Oh, and so some of our locals, some of our people saw them, saw that they were scared and came up to them and said, oh, you want free prayer? Okay, we'll pray with you. And they just stood on a street corner sharing Jesus. And, and that's, that to me is, is the heart, like it's, it's this relational piece. It's not just seeing people as, as problems to be fixed, but seeing them also as beloved children of God, whom God wants, who God is calling to come into himself and calling us all together to, to come in together as children of God. If we can start to shift that, and that happens in prayer, praying together especially, if we can start to do that, 
I mean, I remember one guy, a friend, he's probably in my house right now. He, um, he's a difficult guy. He's had a really difficult life. Uh, if you met him, you would say, that guy is a jerk. And I would say, you're right, but you should have seen him 15 years ago. <laughs> he was a way bigger jerk. Uh, and uh, he's always talking about how he hates Christians, but all he hangs out with are Christians, and uh, he, he always says, I don't have any time for God, but he's a beautiful prayer, and we were praying once, and just asking people to um, just be heartfelt praying before God, and we were a bunch of us there, and he just went, well, that's usually how he starts his prayers, well, and everyone went, uh-oh, <laughs> what's he going to say? Well, and they started by saying, God, to me, you're weak. There was just tension in the room. And he goes, because I've been praying for years that you would take away my cravings for crack. And I still have them. So everyone says you're strong, but to me, you're weak. Just silence. And he says, but I know that you love me. And it, it was a psalm that he was praying. And we know him. And he, again, he's probably in my house right now playing the guitar very badly. Because <laughs> we know him. And we pray with him. And he still can be incredibly frustrating. What is the good that we have been made to do? Including my kids who live in, it's, it's to be an open door that that person might walk in and and a, and a year and a half ago he he got pneumonia really badly he couldn't leave his house and he decided that he would detox during that time and he did and he came over to our house he says yeah I've, I've kicked I've kicked crack and then he spent the next like month just every day in our house and he said I don't have those cravings anymore <laughs> and I go remember that time you prayed that you know, God never took away your cravings. Because he was, he was again going, oh, who is this God? I'm like, hey, God gave you pneumonia. It was the gift he gave you to get rid of your cravings. Like, and, he went, and he was literally like, oh, yeah, yeah, I can see that. <laughs> you know, it, and it just, it's natural because we, that's, our, that's our friend. That's our, he's beloved. God loves him. He's a brother in Christ. He's a child of God. And I don't have to think. I don't have to go, well, I should pray about it. Should I care for that guy today? I don't, I don't ever have to think that. There's other things that I'm still not mature enough and I haven't done a lot of work in yet, but in that area, it just is, it, it, because we've been praying together, we know what we're supposed to do. Because we were praying, God, give us the lost. When the man stood in front of me and said, I'm lost, I know, I can't just go, well, it's tough. Like, <laughs> I've just been praying for three hours for the lost. If we pray, I promise you we will be moved into those good places and we will be able to engage those things well. That our encounter with God is in prayer, but it's also going to be on the street. It's also going to be in our neighbor. This encounter stuff is not just some mystical thing that happens when we're on our knees. It's also a very down-to-earth thing that happens when we talk to our neighbors, when we love the vulnerable. That's the encounter too. Can we learn to see Jesus in our prayer rooms and when we leave our prayer rooms? That's where the encounter happens. And I'd love to just uh, lead you in a, in a little thing of prayer right now. And we use the, someone used the word postures, I think, when we were doing worship. Ah, God's heavenly song was <laughs> singing to us. <laughs> uh, 
I've had moments like that where we were, we were about, to, I should tell you this one. I will tell you this, and then we'll lead into the posture. This is a beautiful story, one of my favorites. And it's actually a woman who's, she passed away very recently, but we were having a prayer meeting uh, in the downtown side, and we were up on this, in kind of an upper room. It was like, it was a former crystal meth lab, but we were had our, our prayer room there, and you had to go up three flights of stairs. And we were meeting and saying, God, are we really listening to your voice? Do we really hear you? And are we hearing your voice from the place of the poor? Or are we really keeping still them on the margins of our, society, of our community? And we said, we're going to take about 10 minutes and just be totally silent together. And um, <laughs> so we said, we started, and immediately we heard somebody started coming up the stairs. We all knew who it was. We thought she was in jail, but I guess she had got out of jail that morning. And she started crashing up the stairs, and she had no con real control over her, her body. She, she was crashing into things, and she was yelling up the stairs, who's up there? And we all knew who it was, and we knew that if she managed to get up the stairs, there was not going to be any silent prayer. We just knew she cannot, there's no silence with her around. She came finally crashing in, and she saw us all sitting around, and she said, what's going on? And she came and she ran up to her favorite person in the room. There was about 30 of us. She picked her up, lifted her up, kissed her on the face, and said, I love you. Put her down and then went to the next person, picked them up, kissed them, said, I love you. Very non-COVID safe, uh, but this was a while ago. Uh, and then went around, and we knew she was going to do this with every single person, and did. 30 people just went around, and we'd all, like, there was nothing stopping this. This was a typhoon that was just going to happen. And then she sat down right in the middle of our circle. We're all in a big circle. Like, there's no social awareness. She sat down right in the center and said, now, what are we talking about tonight? I said, well, we were trying to pay attention to whether God was going to speak to us from the place of the poor, and could we listen and you just ruined it. No, like I, <laughs> God did speak. To, God interrupted our prayer meeting, our pious silence, with the most poor person I know. And God wanted to say to each and every single one of us, I love you. And he wanted to pick us up and kiss us and say it to us through her. And, you know, because we're in a relationship with it, that could happen. And it was from that place of prayer. God interrupted our prayer meeting with the most disruptive person we know. <laughs> and it was God doing it. What if we were just open to that possibility? What if we postured ourselves, not just on our knees, but also with the way that we lived towards our neighbors, towards our enemies, from this place of intimacy? I wonder if we can stand together. And these are uh, called, there's three prayer postures that, uh, it's a group called Infinitum that I'm part of. Um, helps to, to helps people do these. You can do these every morning. Uh, I think it's it might be on here as well. I'm not sure, but uh, it's it's basically three postures, and you move from one place to another. So we start from the place we typically are, and we move to a place that is better. So we start from actually a place of clenched fists, trying to fight the world. Right? I don't know if you're like this, but there's this, this clenched fist trying to fight the world, trying to control things. You know. We say, we start here, we start here in a place of fighting, Lord, but we want to be able to move into a place of surrender to you. We say that it's good, it's good for us to surrender to you. We do surrender our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our work, our ministries, our families, we surrender them to you. 
because you are good and you love them more than we do and you are smarter than us. And we tend to start from a place, and we again close our fists, we start from a place of grasping, trying to hold on to the things that are ours as tightly as we can. We say, Father, help us move into a place of open-handed giving, of generosity, of freely receiving and freely giving. And we tend to start from a place of apathy, sitting back, saying it's not our problem, not knowing what to do, not wanting to do anything. We say, Father, help us to move into love for the world, into action, into seeing and standing in the place of our neighbor, hearing their cry and joining our voice. And all of this in you, Christ, by the power of your spirit, giving thanks to you, Father. Amen.